0: Church, please know that we love you. We're praying for you, and we hope you enjoyed this week's message. You may be seated. You may be seated. If you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter twenty-four. We'll be there in just one minute. All right, in Matthew chapter twenty-four. Um, This is what is known as the Olivet Discourse. It is one of the longest um teachings preachings of Jesus one of the longest recorded teaching moments of Jesus um, it goes through Matthew 24 25 and then after that you get into the plot to kill Jesus and then you get into his arrest and crucifixion and resurrection uh, so this was kind of like Matthew like Jesus's last big almost his big hurrah in front of in front of people obviously his last big moment would be be his resurrection his last would be his best um, but here in Matthew 24 before we get to that um, you see Jesus do a lot of teaching about a lot of different things what we're going to look at today in Matthew 24 is Jesus talks about in um, times situations he talks about true the uh seven-year tribulation period he talks about the rapture of the church and he talks about his coming he talks about both of his coming his second coming and his appearing for the rapture and so we're going to talk about that this morning Um, so that starts in verse 32 36 but before we get there let me tell you what jesus talks about in the first 35 verses Jesus lays out pretty clearly, in a very descriptive and effective way, what the seven-year tribulation period is going to look like. If you do not know the history of, the, of mankind, here's kind of what's going to happen in, a, in the Cliff Notes version. The church is going to be raptured. If you're a believer in Jesus, one day Jesus is going to come back in the air with a loud trumpet. The church is going to be raptured and caught up to him. After that, the rise of the Antichrist will happen. He will sign a peace treaty with Israel. And when he peace treaty is signed, that will start the seven years that the word calls of the worst time in the history of life. The worst time. And Jesus lays that out, but we'll get there in just a minute. After the um, three-and-a-half years, at the three-and-a-half-year mark, the Antichrist will then desecrate the temple, and then the following three-and-a-half years will be worse than the first three-and-a-half years, and Jesus lays all this out. That will end with the second coming of Jesus, when Jesus Christ and you and I, the church, will come back to earth with Jesus. The Bible says we'll be riding on a white horse behind Jesus, and Jesus will come back to the Mount of Olives, which, by the way, is is the exact place that Jesus is teaching this here in Matthew 24. We will come back with Jesus. He will defeat the enemy with his breath, with his word, with his mouth. He will defeat the enemy. And um, then Jesus will set up a kingdom for a thousand years. We'll have a millennial reign here. The enemy will be released once more. Then Jesus will defeat him one more time for good. And he'll be thrown into the lake of fire. And then we start eternity. What the Bible calls the new heaven and the new earth will begin after the enemy is defeated once and for all. But here in Matthew 24, Jesus spends 30 verses talking about that seven-year tribulation period. We talked about this about a year, year and a half ago. We went through this process, the whole step-by-step process um, of end-time events. And Jesus says things like this in the first 35 verses. He says, watch out for false prophets. During that time, there'll be people uh, proclaiming their prophets, proclaiming they're speaking for me. Jesus says, there'll be wars and rumors of wars. Jesus says, there'll be famines like never before. There'll be the biggest earthquake ever recorded in human history. And Jesus compares the seven-year period and compares the time leading up to the seven-year period as birth pains. Because they start out... I don't know, okay? Let me just... I don't know. But I think birth pains start out light. Or no? Depends. Depends. They start out light, then they get more frequent, and then they get more intense. Jesus said this will be like that. Jesus talks about the abomination of desolation, where the Antichrist will desecrate the temple. He says this will be the worst time in human history. Jesus even says if this seven-year period was not cut short... Nobody would be able to survive. Nobody would be able to live throughout the whole time period because it's going to be so bad. Jesus talks about his second coming when he will come back to the Mount of Olives, Mount of Olives, the Mount of Olives, with the church behind him, and that will be when he defeats the Antichrist and Satan once and for all. And then you get to verse uh, thirty-six, which is what we want to look at today. But verse thirty-six is not about The seven-year tribulation. Verse 36 is not about the second coming of Jesus when he comes back to defeat the enemy verse 36 jesus starts talking about the rapture of the church jesus starts talking about when the how the church age will end how all of this that we know now will end and believers will meet jesus and will meet our loved ones that have passed on they will be resurrected and meet in the air look at what jesus says here starting in verse 36 but about that day or hour no one knows Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating, drinking, and marrying, and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, one will be left. Two men will be grinding with, two women will be grinding with, uh, with a handmill. One will be taken, one will be left. Verse 42, therefore keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. So there Jesus says, the day nobody knows, but it's going to happen. The Lord's going to come and take the believers, rapture the believers, snatch the believers into heaven to be with him in heaven forever. How good is that day going to be? Amen? Sad part is we don't know when it's going to happen. You hear some people say it's going to happen tomorrow. You hear some say the Mayan people back in 2012, they were dead set, believed that it was going to happen. It was December something, 2012. You guys remember that? I remember cuz I waited to do my Christmas shopping after that just in case they were right. I didn't want to spend money when I didn't have to. Right? So I waited and do my but it was like a week and a half before Christmas and of course they were wrong, so I had to go get Christmas presents real fast. The word says and Jesus says there in verse 36. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father knows. But what Jesus does do in verses 37 through 39 is he gives us a big hint. He gives us a big clue of when that will happen. And that's what I want to talk with you about this morning is the clue that he gives us. And then we're going to kind of check ourselves to see if we see any of that stuff going on today. Sound good? You ready? All right, what was the clue that Jesus gave before looking, without looking? Somebody answer me. What was the clue? It will be like it was in the days of Noah. Why will it be like it was in the days of Noah? Because in the days of Noah, nobody knew about the flood. Nobody knew the flood was coming. Nobody had a clue about rain. Except for Noah, because God told him. So let's read verses Genesis chapter 6. Let's read here what it was like in the days of Noah. Genesis six, starting in verse five, says this The Lord saw how great uh, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the day and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will, wipe, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Whew. Can I tell you that in Genesis 6, the world was in tough shape? Look at, just think about the adjectives there that you read, the descriptive words. The Lord regrets. Every inclination of the human heart is evil. This was as bad as it could be at the time. And we're only in Genesis chapter 6. <laughs> we're six, verses into human, six chapters into human history. Let me tell you a couple things about sin real quickly. To know about the sin of Genesis 6, let's go back to Genesis 1. What happened in Genesis 1? 1 and 2. What? Creation. God created everything and everything was what? Good. Genesis 1 and 2. What happened in Genesis 3? The enemy, the serpent, deception. Sin entered in Genesis chapter 3. What happened in Genesis chapter 4? Anybody remember? Cain and Abel, where Cain killed Abel. So you mean to tell me sin entered in Genesis chapter 3. The first human birth happened in Genesis chapter 4, which led to murder. Sin was abounding in Genesis chapter 6. There are nine generations... From Adam to Noah. There's Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech. And then Lamech was the father of Noah. Nine generations from Genesis Genesis 1 to Genesis chapter 6. Nine generations. Look how far the world fell. You went from the Garden of Eden in Genesis 1 and 2. To sin entering in Genesis 3 to murder happening in Genesis 4. Now in Genesis 6, God himself says, every inclination of the human heart is evil. Can I tell you, my friends, that is what sin does to you. That's what sin did to them in Genesis chapters 4, 5, and 6. And that's what sin does to us today. While we may think While we may think that it's not that big of a deal, the reality is it is a big deal. Do you think it's possible today? Jesus tells us in Matthew 24, if you want to know about my return, if you want to know about the rapture of the church, look at the days of Noah. Do you see any resemblance to the days of Noah to today? If you don't, turn the news on. Go to Walmart, open a newspaper. It don't take much to see what our culture looked like 20 years ago compared to what our culture looks like today. Not to mention nine generations like Adam to Noah. Think about your great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, the culture that he lived in compared to what we live in today. Think about the culture that your grandparents lived Think about, the, think about the way that culture viewed God and viewed the church compared to the culture today. Can you see the effect that sin has on you and on me? I got a couple truths here for you today about sin. Number one, here in Genesis 6, we see that sin affected every part of their life. God says that their inclination, every thought, every desire, every action, God says here, was led by evil. Evil, sin, led their families, led their bodies, led their actions, led their thoughts, led their jobs, led their families, led their relationships. Sin had infected every single aspect of their life. You see any resemblance of that today? Yes. 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 Can I tell you the worst one? This is how sin, the enemy and evil has infected the church. Am I right or am I right? This is a holy place. We're led by, we're instructed by, we're held together by the God of heaven. Jesus left his Holy Spirit after his resurrection and ascension. He sent it to you and to me to be our leader, to be our teacher, and to be our guide. We're instructed in Scripture to join together with believers, to worship together, to pray for each other, to encourage each other. And the enemy says that ain't going to happen. So what the enemy do? The enemy affects. The enemy injects himself into what at one time was set aside to be a holy place and a godly place. And now, you take a non-believer, they look at a church, and it looks fairly similar to the world. Can I tell you today, I've got no problem when the world acts like the world, right? When worldly people do worldly things, that makes sense. The problem's when the church starts acting like the world. Problem is when the church doesn't love like the world doesn't love. The problem is when the church doesn't forgive like the the world doesn't forgive. The problem is that when the church doesn't pray like the world doesn't pray. The problem is the church doesn't share, give, serve, worship like the world doesn't do all those things. And I believe that's where we're at today. Sadly, that's where we're at today. All right, keep reading here. Number two, second thing about sin, it affects all of our life. Second thing, sin moves quickly. Sin moves quickly. Notice you go from Genesis 3 to Genesis 6, and you've got every sin you can imagine all present here, every inclination of the heart, God says. Can I tell you today that if sin's not handled at the beginning, what's the beginning of sin? How does sin start? We talked about this two weeks ago. A thought that leads to temptation. When that thought is connected to your heart, the heart lives out in action. The thought is not the sin. The action is the sin. If that thought isn't taken care of, before you know it, you're five years into a battle to a sin that you cannot shake loose. You've prayed for forgiveness over and over and over. You've tried to stop. You've tried to quit. You've tried to let it go. But how many times does that come back and crawl up your leg and grab a hold of you, get a hold of your neck, and it will strangle your life? Amen? If those emotions, if those thoughts, if those temptations aren't handled right on the front end, It won't be long till that sin, that temptation becomes sin. And James says sin leads to death. Number three, sin will disguise itself. Sin will disguise itself. Can I tell you what I believe sin disguises itself more times than not? Freedom. Sin will make you believe it's okay because of freedom. How many times have you heard or how many times have you said, I can do what I want to. It's a free country. I can do what I want to. I'm free to do it. I can say what I want to say. I can live how I want to live. I can do what I want to do. I can go where I want to go. I can stay where I want to stay. I am free. I can do it. One, I'm not disagreeing. Go do it but that don't mean it's not wrong. Right? I am trying to teach TJ this. Like, I used this illustration the other day. I don't know if I should use it with y'all or not. I'm going to. Everybody's here, an older adult. I said, TJ, just because you can pee in your pants don't mean you should. Am I right or am I right? By the way, that's a lifelong lesson. I said, just because you can do it doesn't mean the Lord wants you to. What happens is we think because we can, it's no big deal. We think that because we can, it's not hurting anybody else. We think that because we can, it's not going to hurt us when nothing could be further from the truth. Because I can sin, the Lord is pulling me and drawing me and compelling me and calling me away from sin. It's called free will, right? We all have it to be able to do what we want to do. Just because we can, doesn't mean the Lord wants us to. Number three, number four, whatever number we're on here. Thank you, Pat. Number four. Sin masquerades as good. Sin masquerades as good. Throw that Bible verse up here, Tim, Matthew chapter 7. Look what Jesus says here. Matthew chapter 7, this is Jesus speaking, says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then, Jesus says, I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, evildoers. How many of you know On the day of judgment, there's going to be a lot of people that will say those exact words, that will look at Jesus and say, didn't I do good? Didn't I do good? I did it. I did good. Yes, I come to church. I helped out with VBS. I gave some money. I didn't watch any rated R movies. None. I never listened to Van Halen. Leonard Skinner is not on my playlist it's on mine I didn't do any of that stuff I did good and Jesus says not everybody who says to me Lord Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven away from me you evil doers sin has the ability to make you believe that you're living right. Sin has the ability to make you believe that everything's okay. One of the ways it does that is when we compare our sin to the person's sin beside of us. When we compare our sin to the terrorist and the mass murderer and the sex offenders, our sin don't look so bad. Amen? Like, those people are bad. Those bad people over there. I'm not that bad. I'm sort of bad. I'm kind of bad. I'm not as bad as him. not as bad as Barrett. No offense. I'm not that bad. Not as bad as those people. What if I told you that that's how evil sin is? That sin can make you feel good about sin. Sin has the ability to make you feel good about your sin because your sin is different from somebody else's sin. How crazy is that? Sin has the ability to make you believe everything's okay because I'm not as bad as that guy. The reality is, when we compare ourselves with the holiness to the righteousness of God in heaven, you and I, that mass murderer, that terrorists, we're all in the same boat. We're all the same. Sin affects your life just like it does theirs. Sin separates you from the Father just like it does them. But sin has the ability to make you believe that you're in good shape. Until the day of judgment, where Jesus says, nah, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Go away from me, you evil doer. That's the effect that people has the, the lives people were living in Genesis chapter 6. Do you see any resemblance to today? Thank you. Number two, point number two. The second sign that Jesus tells us to look for is in in the days of Noah is that life abounds. Number one, sin abounds. Number two, life abounds. Jesus says in Matthew 24 that people in Noah's day were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving to be married. They had no clue the flood was coming. Had no idea life was about to end and life was about to change for them. Is eating, drinking, marrying, giving to be married bad? No. Especially not when you're drinking that sweet tea. Or that sun-kissed. Is our day-to-day responsibility a bad thing? No. You got to pay your power bill. If not, they'll turn that off you got to take care of the kids. If not, they'll come take them from you. <laughs> Fellas, you got to take care of the wife or she'll leave you. Your jobs are important. Your relationships are important. Eating food is important. Exercising is important. Entertainment is important. All that stuff is needed in everyday, day-to-day life. So, what's the point here? The point is this all that stuff is fine. But don't forget the Lord while you're doing that day to day stuff. Amen? Don't forget the Lord when you're at your job, don't forget the Lord when you're getting your hair cut. Don't forget the Lord when you go to, Lord, don't forget him when you go to Walmart because you're going to need him then more than you will ever need him in the history of your life, especially if you go on a Sunday afternoon because everybody in Randolph County, for some reason, goes to the Ashboro Walmart on Sunday afternoon. I don't know why they don't go to Randleman or Archdale or somewhere else, but they go to Ashborough. I'm afraid today we live in a generation that has forgotten about the Lord. You can go have a full conversation with somebody and the word Jesus never comes up. You can have an hour and a half long meal with someone and never speak about the Lord. You can work eight hours a day at your job and never speak about the Lord. Never share of His goodness. Never share of your thankfulness for His goodness. Never share His plan for your life. Never share His plan for someone else's life. Never share about salvation, forgiveness, heaven, and eternity. Sadly today, I think life has abounded more than the Lord. The Bible speaks of believers having dual citizenship. While we live here, we also have citizenship in heaven. Can I tell you today that you can live here in a heavenly way? Jesus calls it being in the world but not of the world. We can live in the world and still love like He does. We share like He does. Give like He does. Talk like He does. Forgive like He does. Encourage. Pray for like He does. Don't forget the Lord you see any comparisons between Genesis chapter 6 and today July the 2nd 2023 I think if we all understood how close we were to the Lord returning we would be shocked I think if we understood how close we were to the beginning of the seven-year tribulation, how close we were to meeting our loved ones in in the sky and going to heaven, I think it would blow our mind. Jesus says, the day that I come back, nobody knows except the Father. But look at the days of Noah. Sin abounded like it does today. Life abounds like it does today. The good news is that's not the end of the Olivet Discourse. Because Jesus goes on to say that when that day comes, I will come back for you. And Jesus isn't coming just to help. Jesus is coming to rescue Jesus is coming to take us out of this place. Jesus is coming back here to be seen in the sky with a trumpet call. And you and I, believers in Christ, those that are in Christ, those that have made him the Lord of our life, we will be caught up. We will float up into the sky. Our dead loved ones, the loved ones that have passed on in Christ, they will rise first. You and I will meet them with Jesus in the sky with sin abounds today y'all rescue is on the way it's closer today than it's ever been it's closer today than it was yesterday it's closer right now than it was this morning it'll be closer right now than it was right then rescue is on the way amen that's a good thing that's a good thing if you're ready if you're ready for it. That's a good thing. A couple of months ago, we had a funeral. We didn't have it it here. We had it over at Foster Street. It was for our friend, Robert Stover. Um, I got the privilege, the honor to share a little bit at his funeral, to share about my relationship with Robert, and I shared about the last time that I talked to Robert Stover. It was a week before his passing, I was standing there in his living room. I was on his right side. He was laying in the bed, holding his right hand. His wife, Nancy, was on the left, holding his left hand. And I said a prayer for Robert. And then Robert said this to me. He said, I got some decisions to make. I said, what decisions you got to make? He said, I got to decide when to bite the bullet. I said, you get to decide that? He kind of nodded. I said, buddy, let me tell you something. And I had no idea this would be the last thing I ever said to Robert Stover. I said, buddy, that's not your decision. I said, when the Lord's ready for you, you can't stop it. And if he's not ready for you, you can't rush it. When he's ready, he'll come get you. At the funeral, I shared that at that time I was thankful, extremely thankful That one week later, when the Lord was ready for Robert, Robert was ready for the Lord. He was ready for the Lord to come get him. His heart was ready. His soul was ready. He was ready for the Lord. So the question we all have to answer today, if the Lord's returning is closer than we think, are we ready? You could be driving home this afternoon. Up you go. I may not make it home for my two o'clock nap. I really like my Sunday afternoon two o'clock naps. Especially since TJ's not here today, I get the bed all to myself. I won't get kicked or kneed or elbowed. It'd be wonderful. There's only one way to be ready, and that is for your faith, hope, and trust to be in the Lord. The Bible says that to inherit heaven we must confess with our mouth and believe with our heart that Jesus is Lord. That's the only requirement. Confession and faith. Are you ready? You all don't hear me. Y'all, Y'all must not be ready. Are you ready for the Lord? Jesus says, You want to know a sign of me coming? Look at the days of Noah. Sin's running rampant, life's running rampant. They forgot about me. Be ready. Luckily, we have the ability to be ready. We have the knowledge of how to be ready. We have the drawing. We have the enticing. We have the leading to be ready thanks to the Holy Spirit. Can I encourage you today? Faith, hope, love, forgiveness is found in Jesus, in Jesus alone. Amen? Let's stand together. You're going to do uh, Have My Heart? All right, y'all, we're going to do a new song. The song is called Have My Heart. The, one of the lines in there is simply, you want my heart? You got it. Lord, you want it? You got it. Can I encourage you today and challenge you today <laughs> to find yourself in a place of surrender and submission That simply says, Lord, you want it? You got it. Amen? You want my whole heart? You got it. You want my time? You got it. You want my body? It's yours. Relationships? Yours. Marriage? Yours. Kids? Yours. Finances? Yours. Job? Yours. Health? Yours. Lord, you want it? You got it. Can I tell you that's a good place to be when sin abounds and life abounds, to be in a place where you can say, Lord, you want it, you got it. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. We thank you for your teaching in Matthew 24. We thank you for the sign that you have given us of your return. And God, I pray today that you will lead us to be ready. God, if we're not today, speak to our hearts, speak to our minds, show us what we got to do, show us what we need forgiven, call out sin in our life, call out dedication that needs to be made, call out the commitment that needs to be made, because God, we are a people today that want to stand here and confess and shout and submit that our heart is yours. No matter what. Lord, we're ready for you. Whenever you're ready, we're ready. We're waiting on you. Lord, we love you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.